Hello, I'm Maya Goodfellow and welcome to the Labourless Podcast. What might have been a lazy bank holiday for some of you has been a busy one for the Labour Party. The leadership and deputy leadership contests are now in full swing. But that hasn't stopped more candidates entering into the fray. Two more MPs have put their name forward to be the deputy leader, making the field a little crowded with seven candidates. But as many might be focused on who could stand at the helm of the Labour Party come September, there's been an altogether different debate taking place over Britain's membership in the EU. Labour have reversed their position after saying they wouldn't support a referendum prior to the election, they're now saying that they will, but they're also calling for votes for 16 and 17 year olds. So joining me to discuss this is fellow staff writer, Labourist Connor Pope. Um, so now that we do have another two candidates um, for the deputy leadership, we have Rishnara Ali, who announced that she'd be standing, I think, on Sunday, and John Healy yesterday. What do you make of the field? Um, well, I think obviously the most primarily interesting aspect about the deputy leadership contest now is that there are more candidates than are able to get on the ballot. You need 15% of Labour MPs to back you and obviously that is too many uh, candidates to all be able to get 15%, the maximum is six. Um, so now we have to see who is likely to get what support from where. I think Rushinara Ali's announcement over the weekend means that I think the likely support she's able to get from another candidate or um, is Stella Creasy. I think mm-hmm. those two as newish London MPs will be vying for similar support pools. John Healy on the other hand, I think his most likely um, rival in that respect is Tom Watson, but I would have thought that Tom Watson already has enough support to get on the ballot, so it's difficult to see where John Healy particularly goes from here. I think it is interesting. Um, I was particularly pleased that Rishnara Ali came forward, not because, you know, in the name of impartiality, Labour list does not, cannot <laughs> back a particular candidate, but because it had become an all-white contest with Chukaramuna um, standing down as a leadership candidate two weeks ago. But what was interesting is that a lot of people on Twitter have been saying that now the deputy leadership um, contest is really varied and they don't think the same of the leadership contest. Whether that's a fair um, assessment to make, you know, is up for debate. But the reason why John Healy came forward was that he felt the debate had been too narrow. So it does leave a question of what, what is what is he is going to be bringing. He did kind of set out his stall in The Guardian, but it it wasn't entirely clear what shape that will take, you know, in the coming weeks. What what do you think is going to be, he's going to make as his, you know, like, defining feature? Yeah, um, I feel quite bad saying this because obviously John has been around Parliament for a while, but I'm not exactly sure what it is that he's offering that none of the others do. But then again, I'm not entirely clear what all of the deputy leadership stalls are yet. I know that Ben Bradshaw is making a big thing about being the only MP from the south outside of London standing... Um, I think both um, Stella and Rushnara, as I said, are kind of bringing a kind of you know youthful vibrancy. Tom Watson is talking about connecting better with um, Labour activists. Um, so I'm not sh- exactly sure what his uh, position in in all of that is going to be. I think that's what will be interesting. Is that, uh, oh, you know all eyes have been on the leadership um, contest to 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 a degree, and now that we do have so many candidates. They will tr- be trying in this deputy leadership race to be making their voice heard the loudest, mm-hmm. and I'm quite, I'm quite uh, excited to, 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 <laughs> to for, for that to generate some debate. And you know, we did say maybe at this time unity is not what we need. We need to be having, <laughs> we need to be having these robust conversations. And I think having that many people will be, um, can potentially be, be very good for that. Um, but obviously, 
Connor, you had spent some time in Scotland um, prior to the election, and we now have a contest going on north of the border. What what do you make of, of recent um, developments? So there are now two candidates for um, the Scottish Labour leadership, Ken McIntosh and uh, Kez, Kezia Dugdale, who are both <laughs> members of the Scottish Parliament. Kez Dugdale is currently the deputy leader of Scottish Labour. She's by far and away the favourite um, she already has the backing of Scottish Labour's only MP and over half of Scottish Labour's MSPs. So it would be difficult for anyone else to be able to match that kind of support. Because, um, because how, how does it work in terms of the leadership? Um, so there's going to be a meeting of the Labour Scottish Executive Committee next week, uh, next month sorry, to decide what the system for electing the leader will be. This is having to be changed on the back of the fact that we now have far fewer representatives than we used to. Uh, in previous elections gone by, you needed to get 15% um, of uh, Labour MSPs, MEPs or MPs backing you. Now there is only one MP and two MEPs to ask for that sort of spread. And it's going to be very difficult. So I'm not sure exactly what um, system they will put in place instead. And as we are all focused on what is going on internally in the Labour Party, um, we have tomorrow the um, Queen's speech. So for those of you li listening post-Wednesday, <laughs> sorry for anything that we may have discovered that we won't be discussing. Um, but one of the things that will be uh, unveiled is you know, the details of the EU referendum. And I think we do know that who's going to make up that, that electorate. It, it won't be people, you know, after Nigel Farage was screaming, the, the dangers of people from um, who, are living in the Brit who, who are living in Britain but have come from elsewhere in the EU will be able to vote. They won't. Um, but aside from that, it, it, there is a lot still left to be decided, other than the fact we now know Labour are supporting the referendum, which is something that was um, they didn't prior to the election. But also they're trying to... Um, lobby along with the SNP for votes for 16 and 17 year olds. What are your thoughts on that? So I have supported uh, an EU referendum for quite a few years and have been pushing Labour to adopt one for quite a few years as well. Um, I do feel that had we promised an EU referendum before David Cameron that would have changed the way of the debate around it, it would have sent the Tory backbenchers into disarray and the Conservative Party into infighting while also actually being a good idea. I think it is good that we have uh, a referendum on this. What has, so I'm pleased to see that there is, has been a reversal of that position. However, I am a little bit frustrated that we still have a very difficult time getting a very simple message across. On Sunday, Harriet Harman said that we were reversing the position so that we could concentrate on the substance of the argument over EU membership rather than the process of whether or not to have it. Mm. Uh, but by Monday, Labour's line was about pushing votes for 16-year-olds, which is very much a process and not a substance issue. Um, I would much rather the Labour Party got itself together and started arguing for membership of the EU rather than the you know, messing around with the, the frilly edges about what a referendum might look like. I mean, there is an argument for 16 and 17 year olds having the vote, especially if you look at Scotland and what happened with the referendum, um, you know, having engaging young people in that way. And the fact that, you know, the decision about what happens with the EU will affect these 
people for the rest of their lives. Um, are you against extending the vote to, to those 16 and 17 year olds or are you just against Labour coming out so soon after saying that they would support a referendum and making that kind of the core of their argument instead of beginning to lay the groundwork for saying we want to stay in the EU? What, what, is, the t- what is the tension there? Well, my, primarily my concern <laughs> is with the latter of those two things. I think it's, it is a messaging problem. The referendum, I don't think in the end that not pledging a referendum cost Labour many votes, but I do think it became talismanic of the fact that they had a deaf ear to a lot of the concerns of people in traditional Labour areas, which is why so much support was lost to UKIP. Um, I do have a lot of scepticism about votes at 16 and extending the franchise to 16-year-olds, but primarily that is not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I think I wouldn't uh, disagree with that in that I think often I'll be met with people, a lot of my friends saying, yeah, we don't really know what the Labour Party think about X, Y and Z, when I know, you know, what Labour's stance is, but it's just not clear because it's not cutting through with um, through the media or maybe their messaging isn't clear enough. But I do think there's an argument for votes at 16, and I think it will be interesting to see how that debate pans out. Um, and I think that, that bill's coming through on Thursday. Um, so, and obviously as well, the, the fact that the, they're kind of on the side of the SNP with that one, it'll be interesting to see how that is portrayed and what effect that has in the media and how the public kind of perceive that, whether they're on side with that, um, with, with that extending the vote in that way. It just seems so um, backwards to me because, because supporting an EU referendum is such an obviously popular policy mm. and it's going to happen anyway, whilst votes at 16, no one actually cares about it. So even if it's the right thing to do, you are attaching yourself to a popular policy with an unpopular policy which seems to me like the most bizarre way of approaching it possible. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out <laughs> later in the week and see how it um, it does pan out. And it will also be interesting to see, you know, we haven't heard, um, we've heard bits and pieces from all the leadership candidates, obviously the, the pro-business line that everyone wants to kind of take as their own and the word aspiration, you know, I'm sure we can debate that till we die about what that means. Um, but in terms of the EU, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of want to make themselves heard above their competitors because that is such a big topic and it is something that potentially Labour can be seen as pro-business by um, by making themselves seem pro-EU and who will kind of try and grasp that as their own or whether they will just let that be a party, you know, an issue for the party to, to, to take the lead on in general. I thought it was interesting that both Liz Kendall and Andy Burnham both um, came out in favour of an EU referendum before the yeah. official Labour yeah. Party policy was changed. And obviously after that had happened, it was only a matter of time before official yeah. policy did change. But um, I thought it was interesting that within a couple of weeks of the election, both of them had, had changed their own stances on that prior to Labour having done it. Um, I think Andy Burnham has already talked about Europe a little bit, yeah. uh, about immigration, mm-hmm. um, and it will be interesting to see Obviously, he's perceived as the trade union candidate, but there has been no um, sort of inclination, public inclination from the trade unions about which candidates they will support yet. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how they react to the EU referendum. I think there is a big strain in trade unions of scepticism of Europe, um, and particularly because of um, free movement, which actually isn't a universally popular idea on the left, because there is... Um, a big concern amongst people, even like Bob Crow, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, former president of the uh, former general secretary of the RMT about uh, unskilled wor workers moving to the country and undercutting mm -hmm. working class people's wages. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, this, this as well. This was a you know an issue for debate again throughout the the run up to the general election, and I think that will be interesting to see how the unions respond. I mean, my take on that is that as I've said before. It's not that that isn't about those um, those workers, those migrant workers. It really is about the uh, the job market and what employers can get away with, the kind of exploitation employers can, you know, um, manage to fly with under the radar. Um, and that's where we really should be should be focusing our our um, spotlight. But how that does pan out remains to be seen. Thank you for listening to the Labourlist podcast. You can find every episode at labourlist.org forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Ragtime Dance by Scott Joplin, licensed under Creative Commons.